It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Tennis Director, Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. In the Huddle was created to give student-athletes, parents and coaches an inside look at the journey through US college sport and all that comes with it. The demands, the experiences, the excitement and the opportunities available to our student-athletes from around the world. Study and Play USA facilitates a comprehensive, customised approach for student-athletes and families for their whole journey, from their high school preparation years right through to US college graduation. Hi listeners, in this episode we sit down with a man who hails from sunny California but for the past 20 plus years has called Australia home. The great sport of baseball brought him here and thankfully for those that know him, we've been lucky enough to be coached by him, he's never left. This episode is a must for all baseball and sport lovers, parents of any sports person and generally anyone interested in learning of the developmental benefits of, of sport and specifically the college pathway through the eyes of a man that's lived it all himself. We welcome Aaron Applefield, or Apples, as he is affectionately known. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to have you, mate. So before we kick off, mate, I think um, congratulations in, in order today. Happy anniversary to you and Kel. Oh, thank you very much. How many years? It's yeah. actually 19 years today. 19 years. Yeah, my wife put a lovely post up on Facebook, and I responded back with an analogy about a pitcher and catcher's relationship being similar to a marriage. <laughs> basically whenever you're uh, on the same page as a pitcher and a catcher um, it's a beautiful thing to witness and when you're not you need to call time and have a mound visit and have a chat and get back on the same page and give each other a pat on the back side and get back to work yeah good as long as you don't have a get no need, no need to get a reliever in huh <laughs> yeah well not yet at least <laughs> <laughs> well that's good well happy anniversary thank you pass it on to kel absolutely right let's uh let's talk some baseball mate um well, we might just start talking about, I'd like to talk about baseball here in Australia and we'll move to the US a little bit later. Um, but as you, as I said at the top, you're, you've been here for 22 years now. Um, how have you seen baseball then to now and what have been the biggest changes you've seen here in Australia? Yeah, well, look, I think baseball as a sport has changed a great deal, not just in Australia, but around the globe especially with technology. And that doesn't just relate to baseball, but to all sports. Uh, I was introduced a couple of weeks ago to uh, a product called a wrap soda machine, which they use for pitchers as well as for batters. And the technology that came out of that machine um, to digest and, and, and analyze pitchers performance and the swing of a hitter, we're talking about launch angle, um, the, the velocity that the ball leaves the bat, the velocity of the hand for a pitcher, location of pitches. The technology has just changed in every sport. Um, one of the things I really love about Australian sports and specifically around baseball was I got to see the sport over the last 20 years develop um, and see Australian baseball, which has gone really well for the, the Olympic team and being involved in the bandits. It was something that when I came out here, um, it felt like I'd gone a little bit back in time. And over the last 20 years, it's caught up so fast. It's almost like, it's almost like technology that um, as soon as you think you know something, it's been superseded and it's just growing at an incredible momentum and pace. 
So from the, the ability to network with coaches and the technology with the states and overseas and in Asian countries, um, being able to bounce on each other ideas off and the way that coaching is done, I think that's come across into baseball. We love our statistics in baseball, um, probably more so than any other sport. If there's a statistic out there, they'll find it. Um, so I think baseball has really embraced the technology and, and the ability to feed off of other communities. That's good. And that's, yeah, I suppose 20 something years is a long time. Mm. So um, I suppose when you got here, it was very much a sport that had been around a long time here in Australia, but it was still, we couldn't say it's, it had taken off at that point, I'd imagine. But I know that this, the national competition, the Claxton, was a big thing. In fact, we've got, you know, uh, father-in-law uh, was, was a Queensland Claxton Shield player himself. And you know, he's told stories till the day he passed away about his um, about how tough the baseball was even back in those those early days in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah. So, in in terms of professionalism, have you seen it a big change? Obviously, the technology side's big. But. Oh, massively. Um, you know, for instance, having someone like David Nielsen, who's an icon um, for baseball for Australians, um, to for him to come back from the United States and bring his um, level of expertise. And, uh, you know, I was very lucky to work closely with him over the last four to five years with the Brisbane Bandits and watch how he works with players. Um, again, the, the, you're now seeing the return on investment of players that have signed contracts, gone to the States, experienced the minor leagues, as well as all the college pathway students that have gone and gotten great coaching, had a good experience, and then have come back to Australia. That's now filtering through. We're seeing that over the last 10 years, seeing that filtering through. Um, another great um, candidate would be Shane Watson, um, who's part of the development squad for Baseball Queensland. You know, he had a college experience. My director of coaching at Windsor Royals, Nick Bacona, um, he had a great college experience. Uh, myself, I had five years of university experience, which was invaluable to me. So I think that when you've got people who are willing to come back and use their experience and what they've learned to then filter it down to the coaches that are here that maybe weren't lucky enough to have that experience, and then also the kids, that platform says a lot and then leveraging that with the ABL and the growth of baseball, both at the Australian level, as well as at the national level for the competition um, is just, you just can't put a value on that. It's remarkable. Yeah. I think one of the things we find really interesting in baseball and in, obviously we work in all sports, but some of these established Aussie sports, hmm. um, sometimes it can be not clear for someone, a boy or girl who's showing obvious talent, coming through the ranks, sometimes the pathway isn't clear. Sometimes it can be pro or bust. And that's what I love about baseball because baseball is America's favorite pastime, right? right? Um, it's a clear pathway to college. And obviously, you know, we're here to touch on that a little bit later as well. But I, I think that helps um, individuals when they're playing, that they see that this is actually could go somewhere. Obviously, professional is everyone's or most players' dream. But there are other ways you can stay in the sport here than may not may not be as obvious in other sports. That's what I like about baseball. Yeah, look, and even when you take a look at physiotherapy, you know, um, trying to find a good shoulder person when they're talking about throwing, you know, the cricket throwing movement is, is different than a baseball throwing movement. In fact, the Australian cricket side grew in leaps and bounds with Mike Young when it came to the fielding side, teaching them to throw with different mechanics, how to get behind the ball, better fielding techniques. And, and through that, I think that synergy, which maybe had been lost a little bit between cricket and baseball, started to build again. And now, um, you know, I've seen Paul Gonzalez, um, who sits on the Olympic Committee and 
um, was CEO with the Baseball Queensland. I've seen him working with Cricket Australia and Cricket, Cricket Queensland, sorry, and now even on batting. And with 2020, just the changing in the way that the batters approach um, the crease as a cricketer is, is becoming more and more similar to a baseball swing, you know, mo mo using their hips more, trying to get, you know, fuller swings. It's not so much about protecting now that 2020 has come into play yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. So it's interesting to see the crossover between the sports as well. Yeah. And again, with baseball, we love our statistics. So we tend to want to pull all that information out and show people, you know, this is what you can do. And it's cricket help baseball, do you think? You know, has it been reversed, do you think? Um, I think in the sense that you've got more people, cricketers, wanting to come and play baseball now, definitely. And I think also, um, and this happened before I came to Australia, but as I understand, cricket and baseball used to be off opposite seasons. And a lot of cricketers would play baseball to keep themselves you know, basically in shape and, and st still seeing the ball. Now that cricket and baseball are the same season again, that's an interesting question. And I'm not sure that I really have a clear picture on that one. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Alan Border and Ian Chappell, two of our great Australian cricket captains, were, were well known um, to have played baseball at a pretty high level, um, as you say, in those off season. And, and same, with, same with my father-in-law, so who was also a cricketer. So, no, you're right. Um, but yeah, and I suppose listening to all that, um, it's exciting times potentially ahead. What, what do you see, you know, realistically and, and I guess as a bit of a goal, what do you think the next 20 years looks like, you know, for, for baseball here in Australia? Well, look, um, in, in the recent competition that took place in Japan, uh, you know, Australia beat the USA um, in a game. And that, to me, just speaks volumes about the growth of baseball in Australia. To, to me, whenever I take a look at where baseball is heading in this country, with the ABL getting the traction that it has, I mean, Manny Ramirez just signed a contract with the Sydney Blue Sox. No one would have ever thought that that was going to happen awesome. if you yeah. had said that five years ago. Huge. So for a guy like Manny Ramirez to come out here and want to play in the ABL and have that experience and keep swinging the bat and keep playing, that does so much for the sport. A couple of years ago when you had the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers come to Australia and play at the Sydney Cricket Grounds, you know, a lot of those Australian national players and several banners players got to play up against those guys. And that's just a phenomenal experience in itself as well. In fact, little known fact, I'm not sure if you know this, Chris, but the foul poles that are currently at Windsor Royals up in Queensland, they were the foul poles that were used down in Sydney. And um, Mark Reedy um, organized for a truck to go down and collect those poles and he bought them and brought them up to our oh, facility. Oh, that's cool. I did, not know, cool. I did cool. not know that. I did not know that. But look, when I take a look at um, where baseball is heading, it's such an international sport, you know, when you've got, we've had Taiwanese players and we've had Japanese players come to the Brisbane Bandits. And I just feel like whenever we've got the import players also coming from the United States, that chemistry, it becomes a world chemistry. It's not us versus them. And especially between Australia and America, there's not that real cultural breakdown. There's no communication breakdown. It's a yep. lovely place for Americans to come and play in the off season, whether it be to rehab, get some extra swings in, or for a pitcher to get a couple extra innings in. So yeah. um, I only see it growing in leaps and bounds. I yeah. don't see it moving backwards at all. And now with the ABL um, really having a, a brand, and it sounds like they're going to get some you know, advertising rights. And again, going back to technology, the ability for people overseas to stream and watch live games, I mean um, – it's just the world has become bigger yet smaller at the same time. Sure has. I think COVID's showed us that in, in uh, a sense as well, huh? 100%. Um, so, look, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You touched on um, the bandits 
uh, and your role there. Obviously, for those listening who are not familiar with uh, baseball in Australia, the Brisbane Bandits are, I think it's safe to say, they're probably the most successful franchise in, in certainly in recent years uh, in the ABL. So, um, what, what what have been some of your roles you've been um, involved in, in in that sense? Look, I was really lucky to come on board. Um, a little background on me. I had an opportunity to come out to Australia in 98 with an opportunity to walk onto the Bandits. Unfortunately, I got a phone call very early um, before I was to leave to say that the, the Brisbane Bandits were unfinancial and that's in the previous league. Um, but I came out anyways because I wanted to have the experience and then hop back and forth to Europe coaching and playing, hoping that the professional league would come back. Um, then I got tapped on the shoulder um, by Mark Reedy, Adrian Lamb and David Nielsen and asked to come and throw some batting practice and help out a little bit. Um, and that just turned into me starting to catch some bullpens, uh, which then towards the later years with the development guys coming through, we had the younger guys catching bullpens. So I didn't need to do that quite as much every once in a while, fill in. But basically my job was just to be there for whatever was needed, whether it be to throw a batting practice, have an ear and listen to the ball players, um, give someone a pat on the backside when they did a good job, um, uh, catch a bullpen here and there, rake the field, whatever was required. So I guess you would have called me a gopher. Um, but it was a gopher and a job that I wore with pride. And to this day, I'm privileged and honored to be a servant to both the Brisbane Bandits and the sport of baseball here in Queensland. That's awesome, mate. All right, and again, I think that's when we look at all the good cultures of sport around the world, we look at the All Blacks who are probably, you know, um, the most recognizably successful team, uh, sporting team at the moment in the world. Um, and the selfless acts that they, they all... Um, undertake within that team in terms of doing those sort of gopher roles you're talking about. It's a big part of team culture, right? Well, I think you might be giving me a little bit too much credit <laughs> because at the end of the day, there was a little bit in there for me as well in the sense that I never got to wear the jersey as a player. Yeah. And that stung a little bit, but to have the opportunity 18 years later to come full circle and be able to wear one as an assistant coach and help out and yeah. be able to give back, um, that was an honor. So every time I put on that Brisbane Bandits jersey, um, it was something that I was proud to wear. Um, and even to this day, whenever I put the cap on, whether I'm on the field or I'm out in the general public and people talk to me about the sport of baseball and my experience with the Bandits, um, can't wipe the smile off my face. That's awesome. That's great. It's infectious too. So and aside from working with this elite talent, obviously you've, you've got to, I've got to say personally in all my years, um, I've probably never seen a more devoted, passionate junior coach than yourself, Apples. <laughs> um, our sons benefited from that, um, your coaching style for a few years now, but is your philosophy with coaching any different with the little leaguers and rookie ballers to the to these pros you know that have been around in a, a while in the bandits well it's interesting in some ways it probably is consistent in the approach but probably toned down a little bit i mean ultimately for me the the, the things i try and teach on the field are about life skills and using baseball as that vehicle. And obviously when you go up a level um, and you're dealing with grown men, you're focusing more on um, the skill sets that they're using on the field. And when you're working with the younger guys, it's more about using those skill, skill sets as a trigger to teach them about life. So things like resilience and, and grit and focusing on the, the process as opposed to the outcome and that the outcome will take care of itself. And I know all sports have individual aspects but baseball is very unique to me in the sense that it's very much a microcosm of life that you have a job to do when you're in that batter's box and there's no one there helping you with that your job is the hitter or you're the pitcher your job to throw that ball in the spot 
And at the end of the day, though, that job is to get a result for the team. However, you can do everything right and square a ball up perfectly. You can hit the perfect spot. And a guy can make a great play and you get out. Yeah. And a guy can make a great swing and hit the perfect pitch and hit it out of the yard. So just because you've done everything right doesn't necessarily guarantee you success in life, nor does it on the baseball field. And that's probably the thing for me that I just try and adjust the percentages to who I'm talking to. So if it's an adult, I'm probably not talking as much about the life lessons and what we're dealing with. Whereas with a kid, I'm not focusing so much on the physical skill sets. And again, that kind of ramps up or down depending on the age level. Yeah, and no, that's well put. We used to look forward to your post-game videos, Apples, um, <laughs> to your to your team that you referred fondly to as the animals. Yeah, um, yep. But um, you know that it's it is all about life lessons, and you know respect was a big word um, that always yes. sort of came through. And um, we'd like to think that all the kids that um, benefited from your coaching have a bit more of an understanding of that and how sport can teach that. You know? So you're spot on what you're saying there. Um, Look, we're just going to change direction just a little bit or switch our attention, I suppose, to the U.S. side. We've talked about baseball here in Australia. Mm. But let's face it, you know, the home of baseball always uh, will be and always has been the U.S. Um, But look, there's more and more young Aussies heading over there to pursue their baseball dreams, some directly into the professional leagues, which is a fantastic opportunity for them. But more often, it's via the U.S. college pathway, which you know, it's the best study and sports system in the world, quite frankly. Um, so you're obviously in American apples. When, when did your baseball journey start over in the US? Oh, wow. At the age of five, I think I started playing T-ball. Um, and probably the biggest or most prominent memory I have was my first game of being a catcher. Um, I remember our catcher had broken his arm and I was lucky enough that my father spent a lot of time coaching the teams that I was on when I was younger. Um, and he comes from a military background, very structured, yep. and asked basically who wants to catch and no one moved. And so he just grabbed me by my shirt and said, put the gear on. And I remember <laughs> crying and bawling and not wanting to do it at all. And then funnily enough, had a really good game and the amount of people who came up to me and said, wow, you look right at home behind the dish. And from there on, that was my job. I was a catcher first and uh, played other positions like third and first and outfield. But uh, I'm very blessed that that opportunity then, which I viewed as a bit scary, um, ended up being a great experience for me because my baseball brain and my hard work took me further in my career of baseball than my talent ever was going to. I wonder, do you you ever wonder if that uh, day where you first became a catcher not by choice mm-hmm. um if it was a failure you know whether you would a ever be a catcher again and b actually love the game of baseball do you ever wonder if that may have impacted it i wonder about a lot of moments in my life that were turning points um that one to answer your first question whether or not i would have caught again i don't think i would have been given a choice <laughs> i think that that would have just been okay that was your first experience to get back in there yeah um and that's based off of many experiences I had with my dad where yeah. quitting was not an option. Yeah. Um, number two uh, to your question would have been uh, if I hadn't have been successful, um, I think that I was never a kid when I played sport that ever came out of the gates being the best. So I think I always had to put the work in. 
and I think I was used to that. Um, so again, my work ethic is probably what would have gotten me through. But looking back now, it was definitely a blessing. Yeah, you're talking my language there. I'm pretty passionate about this topic because I think I'm, I'm a, I believe that your first, your formative experiences in sport or anything, let's just talk sport, um, can have a major influence of your longevity in the sport and enjoyment of it early. Um, especially now when so many kids have so many options, you know, mm. particularly here in Australia, there's so much on offer, so many sports, we have a great climate and lifestyle, there's so many things they can try. Um, it only takes maybe sometimes a negative couple of games or season or, or, or a negative experience with a coach and who's not really, you know, the right person for that kid. And then all of a sudden they're just lost to that sport. So I, I that's sort of where I was going with that. I think it's, um, it's interesting. It's a, probably a topic maybe we can, delve deeper in another another podcast but yeah sure uh, just to lightly touch on that one of the approaches i'm taking with my new role as the club coach at windsor royals is we're going to be hosting parent seminars which i've asked you to come and attend to sure. yeah um, which i'm grateful that you've accepted uh and a lot of that is going to be having a conversation around how the parents also engage with their kids in the ride home especially around a sport that they probably didn't grow up playing um, so they actually feel comfortable having those conversations about the game and they focus more on the process rather than the outcome and the experience. And let's face it, a game like baseball, you have to be resilient. You have to learn to deal with failure. The best players, the guys in the Hall of Fame, they fail seven out of ten times. So if you can't deal with failure, you probably shouldn't play baseball or golf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you're, not, you're not batting 700, are you? No. Not, not. no. Every time. At least not for a career. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Um, and college apples, where did you go and what position? I assume you, you continued as a catcher, but what, any highlights you want to share with me through your college days? Yeah, look, probably just to stay on the point of, of resilience. Um, I went to a school called Concordia University in Irvine. Um, and I did that because I was so close to my, my father with, with baseball and I had family in San Diego. It was far enough away that I had the college experience, but it was also close enough that he could come and watch my ball games. And when we played other teams in the conference that were in San Diego or were up in Santa Barbara, it wasn't far to go. So I had the best of both worlds, really. For me, the biggest thing that I learned from school looking back was one of my years I had to have an injury red shirt. And I remember spending most of that season um, behind the dish in the bullpen, not playing in games, but catching bullpens. And then there were plenty of times that I thought, is this right for me? Should I transfer to another school? What am I going to do? And I'm so glad I stayed the course because the next four years were outstanding. And looking back, that season was probably the best one for me as a student. Not just a student in the classroom, but also a student on the field. I embraced the opportunity once I got my head around it. And I spent a lot of time in the gym. And I spent a lot of time listening to the pitching coach, how he worked with our pitching staff that gave me the ability to be almost another coach on the field. Yeah. We got to the stage where there were times when I was in a slump and I was not hitting very well at all, but I had pitchers who would literally say, I'm not throwing unless Applefield's behind the dish. So that's a great compliment to receive. And that's because of the synergy that I had with my pitcher, but also because I could see the game. So again, those opportunities where I wasn't playing, my concern is that in today's day and age, a lot of kids, if they don't have that, immediate success or that immediate playing time they want to jump ship as opposed to viewing that as an opportunity and right now especially with covid those that can adapt and improvise are going to be the most successful those who can deal with going through the tough times and figuring out the silver linings 
those are the people that, in my opinion, are going to trump those who can't. Yeah. See what you did there. But no, you, uh, it's, uh, you, you can't, I can't argue with that. It's, it's so true. And, and you're not going to college. You know, if we talk college, um, it's not all blue skies, you know, um, and you're going to have issues come up, whether it's injury or uh, time management, time management, just disappointment. You know, life's full of disappointment. Sports full of dis- you don't sign up for sport full stop if you if you're trying to avoid disappointment. Yep. <laughs> you know, so you go to college, it's time of your life, best four years of your life, they say, um, until you get married, of course, apples, right? One hundred percent. But um, and it is, but it's also tough. You know, you've also got some things to overcome. And if you can't overcome them, you stay the course, you're, you're all the better for it. So it teaches you to control the controllables. Totally, totally agree with you. Um, and, and why do you think I, I talked off air about this with you before? What do you think more and more families are seeing this opportunity more? If we talk about Australians in particular, what, why are they, why are more people sending their sons and daughters over at the moment? Do you think? I think, what you said about it being the strongest pathway for a collegiate athlete, for someone who wants to study. And, and I think a lot of people are realizing now that once you get that education, it's something that no one can ever take away from you. Mm. You know, you sign a contract, you get a signing bonus, you make it through a couple of years, the minus, if you're lucky enough, you make it to the big signing contract. If you're not, then you walk away with that signing bonus and then if you haven't negotiated a college being paid for after you've left the sport, then you have to start all over again, whether it be to get a trade, whether it be to go and work for someone else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you take the college pathway, then you can always sign a contract later. And I think a lot of people are realizing that the life experience that you get, and let's face it, yes, college is not easy, but there is some nurturing that does go on. Your coach does care about you. Your teachers do care about you. They wouldn't be there if they didn't. So I think a lot of parents are feeling as though that pathway is a stepping stone further on to give them a bit of um, independence, but at the same time, safely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very well said. Could not have said that better myself. Um, but yeah, you're certainly right. I mean, it's, um, it's a place where you can, you can go and feel support from every angle. Uh, I think pastorally is a big part of that. Um, academically, like the free tutoring and, you know, and, and they can cater for any academic level. That's what I love about America. It's not um, elite in that sense. It's doesn't. It's not exclusive. Mm. Um, so I think that's really important. And then obviously from a sporting point of view, there'd be there's going to be coaches that are better for some athletes than others. Yep. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, generally they're in the game because they um, they care and they want to see. Naturally, they want to win. You know, they're going to keep their job if they win. Um, but ultimately they want to produce good humans and, and, and see a good outcome academically for their players as well. Right. It's like anything in life. It's all about the right fit. Yeah. And you know, that's where studying play USA comes into fruition, especially is helping that student to network with the right coach, having the insight and then the ability to kind of guide them so that they do find that right fit. There's a better chance of finding that right fit. You're not taking a dart and just throwing it at a dartboard. You're actually spending the time. And uh, when you do that, no matter what you do in life, you increase your chances uh, of having a successful outcome. Well said again, mate. Um, look, mate, I'm very mindful, mindful that uh, we brought you in on your anniversary. Yeah. You, prob- you probably, you know, got to go pick up some flowers or something soon. So Already I've sorted. Also, oh, of course you have. Um, but we might just finish off with some quick fire questions. Absolutely. Apples. You can, 
quick fire. I mean, you, you, you take as much as you, time as you need to answer these if you, if you need to, but um, I'm just going to run through them pretty quick. So no warning. Here we go. Favorite major league team? San Diego Padres. I don't switch teams. I was born in San Diego, whether they're good or bad, San Diego Padres. <laughs> That's good. Favorite all-time player and why? Uh, 100% would have to be Tony Gwynn and 100% would have to be just because of my personal relationship with him. Um, I had so many awesome touch points with that man. Uh, when he passed away, I'll never forget um, finding out about that. Um, you know, he was someone that whether I was working at the San Diego School of Baseball or when I was a student at the San Diego School of Baseball, it was always, hey, Apples. I mean, I distinctly have this amazing memory of him sitting down looking at VHS tapes with me before his game, his game. He's going to go to the field and he's watching the pitchers that he faced previously on a VHS, you know, whenever you hit the yeah. tracking button because yeah, it was yeah. moving around yeah, and you yeah. couldn't see clearly. And he, yeah. He'd pause the swing and talk to me. And those experiences were just something that you can't even put into words. Absolute gold. Yeah. yeah. You can see me welling up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best baseball movie. Bull Durham, and I can't wait until my son is old enough to be able to watch that movie because <laughs> it's not incredibly appropriate until you're probably about 16, maybe 18. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story I can tell you about that movie, but I actually had to, had to research and study that movie over and over in one of my college classes, but Did I can you? T- tell you that another time. One of my monologues was, was from that movie oh, <laughs> that I had to do in college. Good fun. Um, best player you have seen come out of Australia? I think you might have touched on this earlier. Well, I didn't get, I wasn't lucky enough to see David Nielsen play when he was young. And um, I was lucky enough to watch him play, you know, on, on TV and the experience I had with him as a coach and as a mentor, not just a mentor as a coach, but also just as, as a quality man. Um, but the best player I've seen come out of Australia recently. Put you on the spot here. Yeah, that, that is, that's a doozy. We can pass and we can come back if you like. No, no, I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to give up. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> Look, I'm going to have to say in, in recent times, right now, watching Aaron Whitefield in the States and his opportunity right now, the kid's got wheels and an amazing story. He hits for pop. He's got a cannon for an arm. And the passion that he brings onto that field, both when he was playing for the Brisbane Bandits and when he was playing for Adelaide after that, and now watching him on the Twins, um, you know, for a kid who grew up playing softball and has only probably been playing baseball, probably get the date wrong, but I think only for about five years, for him to have grown in leaps and bounds and have the opportunity that he is right now in the major leagues, yeah, such a talent. So watch that name, Aaron Whitefield. Like it. Pick one trait you would look for in a perfect athlete to coach. Discipline. Who's had the biggest impact on your coaching career or philosophy? Well, I'd have to say my father, um, because from a young age, um, it was ingrained into me about work ethic. And also, he wasn't a perfect coach. And let me just state this. No coach that I've ever worked with or been around has ever been the perfect coach. And one of the things that I've learned pretty early on was to take the strengths from lots of different personalities and the things I didn't necessarily want to take on board and create my own style. But the one who influenced me the most would have to be my dad and then followed very closely by a gentleman by the name of Butch Smith, um, who ran a baseball facility in America. Um, and then 
quite possibly after that, the experience I've had with David Nielsen over the last four or five years and witnessing the way that he leads a ship um, is, is unique and uh, I learn a great deal. And, and clearly it works, right? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. What are you most proud of, Apples? My family. One piece of advice for parents, but specifically sporting parents as they undergo the journey of, <laughs> of being a sporting parent to, to, to a kid of any level. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, I was having a little bit of a trouble in relating with my son. Um, it's always toughest with your own, own child. Absolutely. And um, I got into a bad habit after games sometimes of maybe not um, speaking about the right topics. And this is why it's such a, a, a big thing I want to focus on this year with the club is with parents and how they engage with their kids. And I pulled aside a gentleman that I respect a great deal. His name's Russell, Russell Teachman. And he worked with the Bandits, works still with the Bandits. And he's on the Olympic team as a coach as well with David. And um, I asked Russ what he, how he handles it with his son, who's a really good ball player. And he spoke to me about focusing on the timing of conversations and that the drive home is not the time to talk about things other than did you have a good time and maybe what did you learn and what was the best part. And then over the course of the week, there will be opportunities to um, discuss maybe the things that they need to work on. And that was something that it's, I've learned as I'm getting older that it's not what someone says to you necessarily always, but it's the timing of when they do. And it was the right time for me to hear that message from Russ and it resonated with me that maybe the timing that I was using with my own son necessarily wasn't always the best. So I'm far more conscious of my timing now in life just as much as what I say. Great one to finish on. I think they're apples. So mate, I think um, a big thank you is in order because I think um, personally I've enjoyed talking to you and I can talk all day. And we can do this all the time. Absolutely. I enjoy it as well. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're right in our uh, alley here, but um, like-minded people. Absolutely. But um, look, I understand you've got a lovely wife to go look after on your anniversary and um, really appreciate your time. And we'll do this again. I think we'll, we'll, we'll bring up some new topics and, uh, hopefully for the listeners out there, um, get plenty out of that. I just want to also thank you for what you and your team do for um, the players that I get to work with. And I'm always very confident to bring study and play USA into the fold whenever I'm discussing pathways with, with student athletes. A pleasure. Thanks a lot, Apples. 100%. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7 p.m. Eastern, Aussies only, and crunching the numbers. Subscribe to the First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.